I appreciate Pastor Albert, Albert inviting me. He didn't tell me who I was going to be following. I've known Pastor Doran when he was over at First of Troy and then down at Inner City. And uh, he had a good man. I, I looked at many of the speakers and I'm thinking, oh, I feel like I'm out of my league here. Uh, but uh, these are good men. I would strongly encourage you to be uh, in attendance on these Wednesday nights. You get a real opportunity in this metro area to enjoy them. Uh, things have changed a little bit since I left. My wife, at times up north, because we're, we're 250 miles north, and the uh, the genre or the, not the genre, but the, the, the people up there are different, and so at times she thinks she's the boss. And she mentioned that she wanted to maybe say some things, and she's not going to preach. She's not gotten that bad yet, but she will. She wants to share. Up north, we, we share. We're always having sharing times. For Sunday school, uh, for Wednesday night, Sunday night, we have sharing time. That used to be testimonies down here. It's sharing time up there. But she wants to come and share with you some things, and then I will try to also. This wasn't this tall when we were here before. What a joy it is to be here tonight and to see all of our friends. Some of my family came that I wasn't expecting, and I appreciate that. And a special, special treat was I got to see Gail. I didn't expect that. That brought tears. I want you to know that. And then we have friends all the way from South Carolina. We visited them with, um, um, for breakfast this morning, and they were taking off. And I said, well, I don't know when we'll see you again. And lo and behold, here they are this morning. You know, every, when I looked at that baptismal tank tonight, do you know what I thought of, Linda? The very first program, the Christmas program that we gave, um, Linda Tuckfield was my little angel. And I had her pop up out of the baptismal tank as an angel. And, you know, she's still an angel today. You know, she still is. And I think about so many blessings that we had here. Pastor married Mike and Louise. And then we got to see all the kids being born. And then Pastor married um, the wonderful daughter, Corey, with her husband. And now they have kids. You know, that makes you feel pretty old. It really does. But we're so thankful for the many, many memories that we have here. Um, the church is beautiful. We really enjoy seeing this. Do stop and see the video. God has blessed us up at Herring Lake. We, we went up to a little old country church. And the joy, the people had been, I don't know if I'm stealing my husband's thunder here or not, but the people had been having a building program for like 20 years, and they never stepped out on faith. And God allowed us to step out on faith, and we have a beautiful brand-new building. And God just worked each step of the way. And as far as my ministry up there, I'm still teaching Sunday school. And the Lord laid upon my heart when we were up there about many of the kids in our public schools that don't go to church anywhere. And, you know, no matter where you're at in the United States, there is an open door. You can get into any public school. You have a Supreme Court ruling that allows you to get in there. And we started Good News Clubs. And this is going to be beginning our sixth year. And each year we've seen boys and girls accept the Lord as their Savior. This year we were able to see a mom and, the, and one of the sisters come and accept the Lord and were baptized and joined our church. What a blessing it is. And, you know, I've always been a city slicker. And to get up north and to be a country woman, 
I mean, you talk about snow. We had like four feet on our patio, um, and to get out there and and, and to see my mom. We live in a very very poor community, and um, some of our people, you know, they live on their deer meat and what they grow. And so when I have a young mom's group, and I mention it to my daughter-in-law. <laughs> And I said, you know, the clothes that you give away to Salvation Army are the clothes that our kids, our kids at church wear, they, and they're special to them. So, you know, pray for our church. That, you know, we have such an outreach that we can get into the community, but Satan is there, right, you know, just like he is here. But I would challenge each one of you that you have an open door in your public schools, and they can't refuse you, and so I challenge you tonight to step out on faith and do that. She didn't do too bad, right? Uh, I would encourage you to see that video. It, uh, I have probably read more books than ever in my ministry. Uh, this past week, uh, they had a trivia on one of the rock stage radio stations. I don't listen to it, but it's in the health club and it's on, so I have to. And they had a trivia question, and one of them was, what? is what does one-third of Americans never do after the age of 18? You know what it was? It was read a book. I went up there, and it was probably my third year up there. I bought a novel that had won a Christian Novel Award in 2003, and I started to try reading it at 11 o'clock at night in bed. And it was very small print, and I just couldn't read it. So I gave it to one of my 80-year-old members who's a reader. I said, read this and tell me what you think. It's four or 500 pages, and she was done with it by Wednesday that week. And she said it was awesome. I read it, and I started realizing, oh, you read it when there's daylight hours. And uh, I have read every novel this author has ever written now. Uh, and I hadn't read a novel since high school. And uh, I, I don't, because I thought they were a waste of time, but these were always teaching novels. They're much like C.S. Lewis. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, you learn something from the novels he writes. Uh, and that's what I have learned from this one and any of the others. But uh, that video back there is an absolute testimony to the grace of God. I probably have more books on grace that I've bought since I've left here than I have ever had. And uh, that video is a testimony to the grace of God. Um, I tell people when we get a horde of visitors sometimes, because we're up in a tourist area, I say, hey, you're enjoying a church, and it's all the grace of God. Because they look out and they don't see a lot of people, and we have a million and a half dollar building that we put up. And we put it up very well. It's a very con well constructed building. And. Uh, they had been trying and needing to have a new building since 1989 and just never, ever got off. They, they, took the, they took a flight to jump off and just had three, they've had three or four different architects and just never kind of got off the ground. So we decided to get a, a speaker in to not take pledges as such. I mean, we, we, we did, but we don't believe in pledges. You know that. But the, and uh, we took a special offering and then took a, a three-year commitment. And I was, after it was all over, I thought, oh, 
you know, I'm not, I'm just a poor, poor preacher. I don't have a lot of money. And no one gave more than I gave. And I'm thinking, I didn't know what they gave, but I had my treasurer give, give me a list of all the monies that people gave. Don't give me any names. I don't need to know that. And I thought, oh, Lord, I am scared as can be because we were going to start a building program that next spring. And it was just far too, I thought everybody up there was wealthy. And so I thought I was in trouble. And then one of, I got a call in February then 2009 from one of our um, young people that was at Grace Baptist Church. He, not young people, he was the youth pastor there. And he had went down to Ohio starting a church. And we, we took him on for support uh, um, in our church up north. And he called me one day and he said, hey, you know, I applied for a grant from Lasco, the Lasco Foundation. I'm guessing it's the Lasco fan company, and you see their fans and everything. And he said, I got turned down because he wanted them to help pay for the facility they had. He said, maybe you'd be interested. So I, I sent him a one-page uh, letter asking if I could possibly have a form. And they, they um, finally sent me a, a form, a grant form to fill out. I looked at it. I felt it would probably be taking at least two weeks to fill it out. It had their parameters of, of what their qualifications were, and it mainly funded Christian organizations that were remodeling. Well, if you watch the video, it's a 10-minute video, uh, that was not simply remodeling. We were leveling the other church and building a new one behind it 300 feet. And so I didn't fill it out. I didn't do anything with it because, hey, I'm not going to spend two weeks getting all this information that these people want. And I got a call three weeks later from the executor, executive of the head of the foundation. He said, I just started taking over. Are you still, this is in the files, are you still interested? And I said, no. I said, we didn't qualify. I read your instructions and we didn't qualify. Well, Mr. Lasko, who was at the time still alive, is interested. And he, saw, he said, I would encourage you to fill it out. So what was going to take two weeks, I had it, that was on a Tuesday. On Wednesday afternoon, it was in the Frankfurt Post Office, mailed to him, overnight mail. And I thought, hey, I got nothing. And uh, he said, he's very interested, and he's, he's kind of senile. Uh, he's in early stages of dementia. So we'll present it to him. We present the projects on Monday. But for whatever reason, I've never met the executive. I simply talked to him on the phone. He said, I'll present it to him on Monday. We're prepared to. If he turns it down, we'll present it to him next Monday because he won't remember it. I thought, oh, my Lord, you are speaking to this executive because he is being real nice. He didn't begin to have to do that. And he got a call and he said, how much do you think you need? Well, you know, I, we could probably use 280000 We were borrowing 500000 we could probably use another 280, and and uh, he said, "I'll never forget the response." He said, "Ask for more. That's just chump change to Mr. Lasco." I said, "Okay." So I didn't ask for 400,000. I asked for 800,000. Lord didn't give me 800, but He gave me 400,000. And I had my people. Some of my people at the church were getting mad. We had already secured 500,000 dollar loan. And they thought I went out on my own as a preacher and signed the church up for another 400000 So I got up because some of my members said, I, it's, it's going around church. Okay, 
I said, I got up there, I said, please go home, get your dictionary out, Webster in particular, and see what the definition for grant is. It is a gift. There's no way in the world, no matter how bad I get, that I went out and got a loan on my own. And we got a grant for $400,000, free and clear. The only strings at that time, Mr. Uh, Lasko wanted Ten Commandments posted in your church. I said, I don't have any problem with that. I believe in them very strongly. And the executor didn't know anything about it. But I thought, we're going to do it. That's what he requested. And uh, we were able to do that church because at five, if we had not gotten that, we were going to have a church that was probably half of it was just going to be an empty shell. And we would be having Sunday school classes in the hallways because we don't have fire inspections up there. So we could get away with that. But our Sunday school classes would be in the hallway. Now we have everything on one level. Uh, it is absolutely a beautiful area, beautiful building, beautiful facility, far nicer than any of them. They're, you know, we pinch ourselves all the time. We don't believe. As we're up on five acres of land up in God's country. I mean, I pull out of my house. I can put my car in neutral and take put off the gas and coast into my church. It's up in the hills. The rolling hills that, wow, this is awesome. I have not got the courage yet to go sled riding down that hill. But uh, it, it is the grace of God. So I have about a 50-minute sermon here. And I'm only going to go till 8 o'clock. So that's why your outline is very simple. I've learned, once I went up there, I, I don't, there's not been a Sunday that I haven't put an outline in the bulletin. And sometimes they're extremely detailed. But I, I didn't know, you know, I haven't seen you folks in a while. And, I, and, you know, the only one I didn't recognize was Mike Manser because he's changed. But everyone else looks the same. Um, so we will get through it. We'll keep it simple because uh, I've learned to be simple. But we are going to be looking, and I'll give you scripture references, and I strongly encourage you to write down some of the references. But we want to look at well, a theme or the title of Turn the Lights On. And since my oldest son is here, I got the title from my oldest son, literally, and I'm not stretching the story. It was 1974. We had been here a year, and Little Caesars was experimenting with different kinds of restaurants. It wasn't Chuck E. Cheese, but it was some other one. I don't remember the name. It was down on Nine Mile, uh, west of John, or east of John R. And we went down there for an anniversary, and he's four years old, and I, I, I could still carry him. I can't do it anymore, but I could carry him. I'd carry him in there. We walked in there. And again, it was an afternoon, bright, sunny day in June. And it was, you couldn't see anything. It was so dark in there. Little Caesars was experimenting, and I think they probably were serving alcohol in there. And the, he, had, as only a four-year-old could do, shouted out, Turn the lights on! Turn the lights on! And we took three or four steps. He kept on saying that. We made a U-turn and walked out of there and said, We'll find somewhere else to eat. I think the Lord is trying to tell us something. It was very dark in there, very dark. And I think, and if we are going to, you can park yourself in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read some other references. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 1, I uh, never ever preached from Ephesians in this, in this church. 
I taught Sunday school a couple times, Wednesday night Bible studies from Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians, and I love preaching through it. And thought, hey, this is a good sermon. But in the first 14 verses, I know this pastor has probably told you that. He's probably said something on Ephesians 1 before. But the first 14 verses are one sentence. I, I can't remember. I didn't count the words I was going to. But those are all one sentence in the Greek language. And it's like, here's Paul. He's just going on and on and on. And you know, Paul did that. Uh, you've got an example in the book of Acts where one of the people that was listening to Paul preach fell out the window and you know died and he brought, was brought back to life. And you fall asleep. I can't do those kind of things these days. But 14 verses. And then he takes a breath. And I think he goes into a prayer after that. Because all of a sudden he starts thinking about what he has just said. And in essence, in what God has just said. And he's thinking, oh, you people, do you understand what this is saying here? He's, I think he's saying it's amazing. I think he was walking on cloud nine when he, he, read, when he said this and when he looked at what, he, what God had said through him. Because this is, to me, one of the greatest statements of salvation and what it means to be saved and how we're saved. And it's not something that we would take people normally to. We take them to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 and, and the Gospel of John. But this is meat. Ephesians and the book of Romans are meaty books. And, and we have to come sometime to that place where we read some of that meat. And he was just thrilled with what he was seeing. And he wondered, do you Ephesian believers in the city of Ephesus, do you understand what I have just shared with you from God? He was not sure they did. And so notice what he says then in verse 18. I pray, we know it's a prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Think about that. Paul prays not for their salvation here. He's not praying about that. But he's praying for four things that he wants them to see. Three of them are explicit, clear, cut, and dry. Exactly, you see it there. It's very clear in the Scriptures. And one's very implicit. And so I want us to hang our thoughts on four different words here that we can look at. And the first one is illumination. You need to write that in the blank. Illumination. That's what he's praying for. And I think sometimes we mistake fascination for illumination. And so those are the next two blanks uh, right under that. Fascination does not equal illumination. We sometimes get fascinated with things. Uh, We sometimes get impetuous with things. Uh, And we look at them really somewhat on the surface. And... uh, He says something quite different. You know, fascination can be an intellectual interest, if you will, with truth. Uh, It's stirred by discovery of some new truth. Uh, That can be good. I I read the Bible. I've gotten into a very good habit. I read it through when I was down here, but not every year. I do now. And, you know, I tell my people there, most time I, I get a different Bible or a different translation because if I keep using the same Bible the whole thing will be highlighted in a fairly short time. 
I don't read anything that I don't highlight and say, oh, that's so good. It's so good. And I've read it before. I've read it before. And oh, it's so good. And I didn't see it before. That's the way God works. He all of a sudden shows you and opens some eyes. You can see what you hadn't seen before. But illumination is seeing with the heart. Now, I got a young seven-year-old granddaughter, the youngest. And you know how children are. They're, they're very literal. I was thinking when I thought about this, she'll probably look down there and see if she's got any eyes on her heart. Because that's what the Scripture says. Look at it again. I pray that the eyes of your heart, Paul is saying, your heart has eyes that can see. They're spiritualized. And it's important because he was concerned. They can see with their physical eyes. We can see things with our physical eyes, but not with our heart. The number of times it has happened since Helen's gotten older, not with her, but it's a problem with me, I will look for things and I won't see them. And then I will get frustrated. I'm a preacher. I can get frustrated. You don't ever have those problems. I get frustrated and I will look. And what gets so frustrating is all of a sudden I finally see it. It's right there in front of me, out my eyes. It was there all the time. At least I think it was. I'm thinking, God, are you playing games with me here? They were, it was there. And we need to see with our eyes. And that's what Paul was saying. He was praying for these believers, not for their salvation. They were saved already. But he wanted them to see with their eyes. And I pray that your eyes of your heart might, might be enlightened, that the lights might get turned on in your hearts. Spiritually, you'll see these things and understand them as a saved person. You know, Peter, and our time is just flying by, but Peter made that great confession in Matthew 16 where, he, where Jesus was asking, hey, who do you think people, what are people saying about me? You know, speakers like to know that. Preachers like to hear about that. What do people think about me? I don't ever ask people that question. But he asked them, who do people say that I am? You know, he said, well, some think you're a prophet, Elijah, and, and on and on. And then he said, well, who do you guys think I am? You've been with me for a while now. Peter said, thou art the son of the living God. And Jesus told him, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Flesh and blood had not illuminated you. God, the Father, opened your eyes to see that. And, you know, if you go down that passage, he doesn't go very far, but the next breath, Peter puts his foot back in his mouth. And, you know, and the, Jesus has to say, listen, Satan, get behind me. God the Father should even reveal what you just said. That's Satan. He had to see in his eyes, and God is the one that opened his eyes. And reading through some of my Bible readings, and uh, write down the references and look at them. I'll read them to you. First Samuel 17, verse 32 and 33. You all know the story. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him, that is, on account of the Philistine giant, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. You see, Saul was looking at the outward appearance. Saul was looking with the eyes of the flesh. David was looking with illuminated eyes. He was seeing with his heart that here was someone coming against the God of Israel and he was insulting God's 
nation, which was insulting God. And David was able to see beyond the size of Goliath. And he saw with his heart and was able to do what he did because of the heart that, that he had. His eyes were open to the things of God. Moses challenged Israel. Moses was not going to have the pleasure of going into the, the promised land. But he challenged and warned Israel because they were. And he says this in Deuteronomy 13, verses 15 to 19. See, I've set for before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may multiply, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land which you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, you life and death and before you and the blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live and you and your descendants. He was concerned because their heart might be turned away. They could see with their eyes. They had seen with their eyes as they came out of Israel. They saw all that he did, splitting the, uh, the Red Sea, doing all the water from the, the rock and the manna from heaven. And yet, how many times they grumbled in their heart. They complained in their heart. How much do you have to see? And at times I get impatient with Israel and I'm thinking, you're no better than they are. How many times we doubt God... We doubt God and what he's going to do. And we all we have to do is reflect, hey, as God brought us this far, not to fail us now, he will meet those needs. And we, we have to see with our hearts. Another one that's a, a prime Old Testament story, Second Kings six sixteen to 17. The Armenians surrounded the prophet Elisha to capture him. Elisha was telling Israel all that this, their enemies were going to do and when they were going to strike and where they should go and shouldn't go. And the uh, Arameans were a little perturbed with that. So they said, hey, let's go get the prophet that's messing us up. And what shall we do? Because they surrounded Elisha and his servant. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha's servant went out there and he saw hundreds of thousands of, of these enemies surrounding them. And that's all he saw. And Elisha saw a little more. He saw the same enemy, but he was looking with his heart. And he prayed to God. He, he said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes, the eyes of his servant, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, I'd love to have been there. I really am beginning to think in my old age that God is going to have great technology in heaven and he's probably going to show us some replays of some of these events. I really would like to see how God split the Red Sea instead of how Hollywood thinks he did. I would love to see this story here. I'd love to see David going against the Goliath. I think God may bless us. To me, those would be a blessings to watch. But here was a servant seeing with his physical eyes and not seeing with his heart. And that's many times my biggest problem. We need to see with our heart. I was almost ready when we had taken our offering and got what I thought was a fairly small amount because I thought everybody up there was wealthy. I was almost ready to come to our deacons and say, hey, 
we need to reconsider. I don't think we can do this building. We need a lot more money than this. And we, we, I didn't, and the Lord just plowed through him, but it wasn't anything by me. God just opened his grace when we stepped out by faith. Uh, and then, you know, again, Acts 16:14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart, and she responded to the things that Paul spoke. If the Lord had not opened her heart, she would not have accepted Christ. But he opened the heart of an unsaved person. Here in Ephesians, Paul is praying that their eyes of these believers would be open to see some of these things that they were missing. You know, that's a problem that you and I, and that we see with unsaved people. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6, talks about the mind of the unsaved. It says, even if our gospel is bailed, it's bailed to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds. And the word minds, there is the word for minds, but I think it's definitely a synonym of the heart. He blinds the heart of lost people so they don't see the saving gospel of Christ. And so that they might see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, and end up believing. So I'm always praying, Lord, Open the eyes of these unsaved people. Now, I know I don't look like it, but it's been since about 1974, I have had a regular membership at health clubs down here and up north. And, you know, in health clubs, you almost have a captured audience. It's almost like Paul being chained to a Roman guard. And I'm thinking, and I'm getting mad at myself because I thought, hey, I that's... The most unsafe people I know are at the health clubs. That's where I, I know more unsafe people than anywhere else. And I finally said, hey, after all these years, get some guts. So I started talking to these people about the Lord. Uh, when they're on a treadmill, they're not going to quit. They, they're going to go till they get their time in or on a bike. And so I've just offered up them a simple question just to get them to start talking. And I used to think, oh, okay, I got it. how do I turn the conversation around to godly things, spiritual things? And I can turn it around on a dime now. I, this past week, 27-year-old construction guy that comes up, works there for a few weeks, a month, and he was at the health club, built like a Mack truck. And I said, what do you think, what do you think when you die and go, what do you think is on the other side? I've never had anybody Say, it's none of your business. I don't, I'm not going to tell you. They all have an opinion. And so I just let them give me their opinion. And then they ask, where did you get that idea? Because if they're saved, they're going to give me the word of God. If they're not, I say, hey, you know what the Bible says? Open door. And it is so much fun talking to them. And I just look at somebody that's rock, walking around there. If they're breathing, they need Jesus. And they're lost. If they're breathing, they need Jesus. And I'll find out in no time short if they have him already or not. And a great opportunity of sharing the gospel. Here, Paul is praying for illumination. Here he's praying because their blindness, that they might have their eyes open. But eyes can be open physically, but spiritually, they're, they're, they're darkened. There's no light. Remember David, the king, prayed this way, Open my eyes that I may behold 
wonderful things from your law. I don't ever want to read this book anytime when I'm reading through it, when I'm doing devotions, when I'm studying it. I don't want to have my physical eyes open and not my spiritual eyes. I want to see with my heart. It's critical. Let me give you the only quote I will tonight. It's by Jim Berg, one of my favorite authors. He says this, The greatest sign that believers are not illuminated is that there is no delight or savor of spiritual things. I never forgot that. I love this book. I love it more and more. I savor it. It's a treasure for me. He says they can logically defend their salvation just like the, uh, a blind man can uh, skip that. But an unilluminated believer cannot understand why other believers seem to delight in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Preachers struggle with that. I have people I wonder, are you just telling me this things or do you really love the word that we've just shared And some people, it's water off a duck's back. He says his own Bible reading, the the unilluminated believer, when he even attempts it, is dry, unappealing. Boredom is the result of hearing the word without seeing it. Folks, that's an enormous insight. It's reading the word of God without seeing it with your heart. I want to read the word of God. I want to study it with my heart. When I do, this book is a fiery book. This book nails me between the eyes. It convicts me. That's why when people look like they're bored, I will say, hey, are you having a good, close fellowship? Are you reading your Bible every day? Is the Word of God alive to you at home, just not here? And I know the answer. 99% of the time, they're not. They're not reading it. The result is the truth is is no relish to them because the Holy Spirit has not opened their eyes. They don't they're not they're not seeing with the Spirit of God with open eyes. It it has no relish. They don't treasure. When I talk about the to people, do you treasure the word of God? They don't even know what I'm talking about. This is a treasure. I am so blessed. You know, I I, I I'm so blessed by the Word of God. Illumination. Paul was praying for that. He's also now we will we will move very quickly, but He talks about the next word that you put down is knowledge. Notice what he says. I pray that your eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know. You will know something. Knowledge. He's praying for their knowledge. Didn't they already have it? He said they did in in verse uh, 9 of this chapter. they They had a knowledge of salvation. He's not talking about knowing the Savior, but having their knowledge. They didn't have it all yet. That's the exciting thing. Even if you can, you've been in the ministry and this young man preaches like he's been in the ministry for 30 years, but he hasn't been in it that long. Uh, and, but any one of us know, hey, I can keep going to the Word of God and I'm going to find out things. I'm going to see things I didn't know. And the things that at times get frustrating is I'm getting and seeing things that I hadn't seen before. And I thought, oh, Lord, why didn't I see this before? I've read many of books that among many dear authors today I don't always agree with everything they say, but a number of things I do, and I often say, I wish I'd have said that. Oh, that insight is great. I wish I'd have said that. Here, Paul was praying for their knowledge that they might get more. I, I'm never satisfied. It, you know, it, it's basically like sitting in front of a table full of chocolate. I can never get enough. I have gotten sick on various kinds of food. 
I wish I could say I got sick on chocolate because then I wouldn't eat anymore. But I haven't. We went to a friend, of, some of our members took us out to a restaurant this past Sunday. They had chocolate bread pudding. I'd never had chocolate bread pudding. I grew up never eating bread pudding, but I learned to eat it from one of our members here. And this was chocolate bread pudding. And I'm on a, a diet. I'm, a, I'm going to Weight Watchers. And I ate it. And I oh, sitting, and I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of the Word of God. I, I can say every day, I want to find out more. Because I don't know it all yet. You know, we sometimes take the approach to the Word of God just like a kindergarten who finally gets their ABCs and able to, able to say their ABCs all the way through. And then say, hey, I know it all now. I know it all. Hey, that's just the beginning. Now you dig in deeper. Knowledge. But notice what he wants them to have knowledge of. This third word is the word hope. He says there that you might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The hope. In hope, you know this, is a, hope is a confident expectation, assured outcome. Hope is exercising faith in something that we know is going to happen. We just don't know when. We know it's going to happen. We have the hope of Jesus coming again. None of us here in the right mind knows when. It looks like it's going to be sooner than later at this stage of, of our existence in our world. But we still don't know when. But we know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We are going to see him. And Paul said to Titus in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The return of Christ is the blessed hope. Paul wants us to see with absolute certainty the outcome of the salvation that was started with God's calling us to salvation. God doesn't call anybody that he doesn't save, folks. He calls us to salvation. And Paul was praying that they would, would see the hope that's involved with that. Because, I don't know about you, there have been plenty of times lately, I've, I've done a lot of talking to the TV. Because I get mad at my TV, that is, the people that are on the TV. And sometimes I feel like, ah, it seems so hopeless. And I'm saying, what am I saying? This is not Obama's world. This is not Pelosi's world. This is not Beck's world. This is God's world. This is God's nation. He is the one that's in control. And he can change and do whatever he chooses to with this world. Paul was aware of, of the issues you and I might face. We don't want to get so enamored with all these issues that could bother us because God is the one in control. And he has said for us, we have hope. I've said to some of these people, someone up in the club in their 70s, you know, you don't have, okay, not too many of those left, you don't have much hope. You don't have any hope left. You don't have any hope without Jesus Christ. What hope is there? Jesus is not a Savior among many. He's the only. He's the only Savior. There's none like Him. There's none that is a little less than Him. They're, they are not gods at all. They're not Saviors. Jesus is the only hope that you and I have. He's the only hope for this world. If someone says, hey, what can you offer me? We can offer Jesus Christ. He is the hope. For this world, he's a hope for lost people. 
The hope of is confirmed for us in the calling and the dwelling of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the Savior living in you. He's the hope of glory for you. And the last one, which is implied. These others were very explicit, as you saw from the text. This other one's implied. There is implied in all that Paul is praying here. It's humility. Humility. He is, he is praying here, and the implication is that of humility. He's humbled by it. This is a result of a believer being illuminated. The more you see, the more your eyes of your heart can see, the more you're humbled. I remember well the f- coming home from the freshman year in Bible college because I went there thinking, hey, I kind of know a lot of things. I left my freshman year and thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got four more years, a five-year program, and I'm thinking, ah, I didn't realize there was so much to know. There's so much truth in this book. Because I thought, I already had it. I was raised in a, a Bible-preaching church. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's so much to know from the Word of God. There's so much to know. God humbled me, and God humbles His saints. And that's Paul's response was, in all of this, he was humbled by the grace of God. He was humbled by what he said to these believers in the first 14 verses. God did this for us. And we might sometimes think, wow, I just thought I was smart enough and realized that God did a lot for me and saved me, and so I need to trust Him as Savior because I'm so intelligent and smart. I went 13 years to a Bible-believing church in the first 13 years of my life, and God didn't save me until my 13th year. That All of a sudden, hey, dummy, you realize this is no accident that you are... God wants to save you by His grace. Grace is very humbling. Grace tells me I don't deserve this. Just like I share with people all the time about that $400,000. My goodness. I would never dream that somebody would give us $400,000. That is a grace gift. Uh, We didn't deserve it. We weren't worthy of it. I I wasn't just the greatest grant writer there ever was. (laughs) Uh, uh, No. Uh, I just fumbled my way through the letter, one-page letter. Uh, and we have teachers that rant, write grants requests that never get any. It was simply God's grace. Read the first 14 verses of this chapter and look at it as a fuel for a fire. That you read that and you just allow it to fuel your spiritual fire and get you excited about the things of God. And then pray that God will open your eyes to see those things And then share them with lost people. Share the truth with other believers. I've often gotten concerned since I've been up north in the last 10 years. A lot of people. I have been blessed seeing that this church has called some good pastors. Uh, A friend of mine, a missionary friend of mine, and I talk from time to time and say, I'm feeling more and more like a dinosaur. There's not too many of us around anymore that are still holding a line on some of these spiritual issues. Uh, it's good. It's, it's good for me. I, I enjoyed coming back and seeing that this church still is preaching the gospel. There are a lot that are not. There are a lot that have watered it down. They don't want to be offensive. Uh, I have a knack of offending people. I don't ever try to do it intentionally. 
If it's God's word and it offends, I, I don't really say I'm sorry. I say, hey, I love you. I love you, but this is the truth of God's word. And, and we, we take it from there. But this is fire. Let it fire your soul and your eyes to be open and, and pray that your, your heart will be anxious for the word of God. Treasure it as you walk through these doors wherever you attend church. That's the way you go with your eyes expecting, expecting the truth from God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the truth of it. Father, we would pray, even now I'd pray for these people that you would open their eyes. Don't ever let them read the Word of God. Don't let them ever study the Word of God. Don't ever let them think about the Word of God as they ought to. Every day, every Sunday, after they've heard a sermon or two, what does this mean to you, to me? How do you want me to apply this to my life? Help us never to be bored with the Word of God. It's anything but boring. It is exciting. You have done great things in the past, and you are going to do a great thing in the future when your Son comes back again, our Savior. We pray that these folks may may catch a glimpse of that and pray that their eyes would be open every time they open the Word of God. Father, we ask these things now in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Amen.